Please stand for scripture reading. Today's passage is Matthew 27, verses 15 through 26. In the blue Bibles in the seat pocket in front of you, it's on page 486 and 487. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please take one of these home as a gift. So Matthew chapter 26, or sorry, 27, my bad, (laughs) verses 15 through 26. Hear the word of the Lord. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Thus says God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, in particular, we thank you for this portion of your word that we are examining in these few weeks, God, before we celebrate your resurrection together. And God, for it's here that the, the center, the reason, the purpose for our existence is brought to the forefront, Lord, that we see that um, all of human history was was brought to this point where where Christ, the Lamb of God, would die for His people and redeem us all from the curse of sin and and from the power of death. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for what your Word teaches us about the characters that you sovereignly surrounded Jesus with in that last week of his life before his death and resurrection. And so, Lord, we thank you for this. Lord, let us be attentive to what you want to show us in these passages. Let us be ready to respond to the leading of your Spirit as you as you change us and transform us into your image. Lord, I ask that you would um, awaken us all to the truth of your Word. Lord, that you would make us attentive to it. Lord, I pray that that um, we would hear not with the ears we were born with, but with spiritual ears. As Christ said so many times, let the one who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so, Lord, I pray for that. God, I pray for myself that I would be, um, God, given an impartation of your spirit to be able to share these things with uh, God, just accuracy and clarity and holiness, Lord God, and not uh, corrupt these these things that you have said with 
my own humanness, my own fallenness, Lord God, I pray that I would speak um, clearly what you have said in your word. And so I thank you for this, Lord. We give you all glory. We, we praise you for the gift of your word as we stand before it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So as I indicated in the prayer, we're doing a sermon series right now. We have been uh, in a fairly lengthy series on the book of Mark, and we've taken a break from it to do this series looking at different characters from the last week of Jesus's life before he is crucified and then subsequently resurrected. Um, and so we've looked at Judas last week, um, one of, or well, if not the most infamous character in all of scripture. Uh, he was the one, as you'll recall, who betrayed Jesus into the hands of the Jews, uh, who turned him, Jesus over to the Romans, who crucified him. And today we're going to examine someone who appears very briefly during Christ's trial, and it is the criminal known as Barabbas. You may have never thought much about Barabbas before. Um, And I'll tell you, Barabbas is, in a a lot of ways, a tough subject to extract a a message from. I I said yesterday at the men's breakfast uh, that I didn't know how I was going to talk for 40 minutes about Barabbas and 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 Jared, of course, said, "Well, that's fine. Just speak 20." And I, I, I said, "Well, I know where you're coming from." So, anyway, I'm probably going to dis- disappoint you, bud. So just get ready. Um, we we know absolutely nothing about Barabbas except what the four gospels tell us. Um, when I began this this series, I thought a lot of times you'll find things like, for example, in Josephus that were written by extra biblical authors. There's nothing like that. He isn't mentioned in the Bible before or after Jesus's trial, and nothing is written about him in extra biblical literature. But we know from the four Gospels that, as Matthew calls him right here, that he was a notorious prisoner. Um, according to Matthew, uh, that's what he's, he calls him. He gives him this definition. And that means that he had been, first of all, if he's a prisoner, he's been apprehended, right? He's been caught. And he came to prison with a dubious reputation. Uh, over the time and all of our lives, we've seen where the government finally catches that one murderer, that one terrorist, and it becomes huge news. Well, this is similar to what's happened here, it seems, from the text. The other Gospels tell us more about his criminal history. Mark and Luke both say that he committed murder in the insurrection. So we have murder, which is, you know, pretty much on the top of our list of bad things to do. And then on top of that, we have an insurrection. He tried to overthrow the government. Additionally, John mentions that he was a robber or a bandit, depending on which uh, version you are. This is not a great guy, okay? Uh, So the occupying Roman government found him guilty of trying to overthrow the government. Think about what that means. He's acting as a violent terrorist. He had given, he, or he had taken the lives of people and that he was also a thief. Now he was, I want you to make sure you understand this, Barabbas was the kind of guy prisons are built for. He wasn't someone society would want freely roaming the streets of Jerusalem. He was right where he belonged, locked up in a dungeon somewhere uh, because he was too dangerous to let him, you know, kind of co-mingle with society. He'd proven that over and over. 
Now, some have speculated in looking at his, at, at who he was and the reaction of the crowds to, to Barabbas that he might have been a sort of first century Robin Hood, you know, kind of rob from the rich and give to the poor type of thing, that, that he might have attacked wealthy and politically connected Jews that, that he assumed or thought were in allegiance with the occupying Romans. Whatever the case, the text indicates that at some point a conspiracy was uh, was developed and he wanted to overthrow the government. And so his anti-Roman activities became more organized. Now, perhaps this is true. Perhaps he was like Jesse James, Jesse James in the uh, in the uh, you know 19th century in the south, southern states that he was like the guy who was rescuing the reputation of the Confederacy or or maybe in large metropolitan areas in the 30s and 40s like the mafia families who are very popular with the common people even though they're involved involved in all kinds of criminal activity. This may explain his apparent popularity with the mob that day that Jesus was being tried, most of whom would not have been supporters of Roman rule. But as you consider that, I want want to put something else before you. I think it's more likely that the people prompted by the Jewish leaders weren't so much for Barabbas as they were against Jesus, simply against him. A likelihood we're going to consider together in more depth momentarily. But whether, it doesn't really matter whether he was a feared malefactor or uh, uh, you know, some sort of populist hero makes little difference to the story. He had clearly broken the law in egregious ways. And he'd been arrested and subsequently imprisoned. And he was most likely facing the death penalty. How do we know that? Because of the charges that were against him. Um, Rome, that's the way Rome dealt with the worst of criminals. Just put them to death by crucifixion. And this fact that of who he was, where he was, why he was there, all of that, is what, when we look at this story 2,000 years later, it's what makes this story so intriguing. If you, if you pay close attention to the story... It explains for us how the world that we all live in still responds to Jesus. And while the story exposes the reality of the human heart in all generations, it also gives us a grand snapshot of what the gospel accomplishes in us. So Barabbas, this morning, this guy that's just mentioned in a handful of verses throughout the New Testament... This guy is worth our consideration. And this morning, here's what we're going to do. I'd like to take a look at the details of this chapter in Jesus' trial. And I want to examine both the mindset of Pilate and the mindset of the crowd and finish by considering Barabbas' perspective on the events that are recorded here. So let's begin. At, the point, at this point in the story of Jesus' trial of his last week, Um, where Barabbas is introduced. Jesus has been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane after being betrayed by Judas, like we talked about last week. All of his disciples have deserted him. He is left completely alone in custody. Peter has denied him three times. Denies that he even knows him. 
He's faced a late night kind of kangaroo court trial before the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish ruling council, where he's charged with blasphemy, a crime punishable by death. He's physically abused and then subsequently sentenced unanimously by the Sanhedrin to death. Because the Jews were not authorized by Rome to carry out executions, in the, uh, in the morning, what they do is they drag Jesus before Pilate. They've got to get Rome to sign off on his crucifixion. So they bring him before Pilate. Pilate is the Roman prefect or the Roman governor in charge of, of the region of Judea. And uh, it is here where the Jews demand his execution with, with no wavering. That, that's what they want. At first, Pilate, in the text, seems to sense that, that this is driven, this whole, this whole thing with Jesus is driven by pettiness. And he refuses to comply with their rash demands for this crucifixion of this silent man, this puzzling figure to, to Pilate's mind standing before him. He refuses to comply with their demands. And Matthew twenty-seven eighteen that we read this morning gives us a great clue as to his hesitancy. It says, For Pilate knew that it was out of envy that they, the Jews, had delivered Jesus Christ up to them. Of what, when you read that, would you say that they were jealous or envious? Well, they were probably envious of Jesus' popularity. They were probably envious of Jesus' authority. Remember we read that in Mark, that the people looked at Jesus and were amazed. They said, this guy speaks with authority, not like one of the scribes, which was all these guys that were trying to get him killed right now. And this whole idea of their envy of Jesus' popularity and authority was apparent by their reaction to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Remember Palm Sunday, what happens? Jesus comes in on a borrowed donkey, and as he's coming in, the people are shouting and, and raising their praise. Listen to what the Bible says in Luke about that event. It says, as he was drawing near, he's coming into the city, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. And they were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And here it is. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. You don't come in here acting like that. They should share the same opinion of you that we do. That wasn't what happened. They didn't share the same opinion. They were rejoicing in this one. It says that it was his disciples who were were making these high praises. Jesus answered these guys who were demanding silence, decorum. He wanted them, everybody, order in the court is what the Pharisees were crying out. And Jesus answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, I will be glorified. I will be praised, whether it is by my disciples who are following me or whether it's by the inanimate objects of creation, I will be glorified. And so perhaps to awaken this crowd that had gathered before him, 
to, from the consequences of the of this envy that they were eaten alive with and to protect an innocent man, Pilate has this idea. He offers the people what would seem like a no-brainer of a choice. It was Passover time, and Pilate had developed this tradition of releasing for the people, for the Jews, a political prisoner during this time. We still see this in today's day when there's trying to be a, you know, a, a treaty that's formed that both sides will kind of release their prisoners. Well, there was a lot of hostility between the Jews and the Romans. And so uh, as a PR move, Pilate decides at the Passover that he would release a, a, a political prisoner to the people. And it, apparently he'd been doing this for some time. So he puts forth an option to the crucifixion of Jesus that was certain, he was certain this would happen. It was certain to cause the angry crowd to come to its senses about this man standing before him who he had heard, he had judged to be innocent of all the charges brought against him. He had, he, he could not find, as it says, anything wrong, any, any evil in this man. And he thinks, surely this choice, this, this contrast between one and the other will surely make these Jews snap out of it. And so Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? Now, an interesting fact that you may not have considered before or even known before is that Barabbas is not, or is, or it's not rather a given name. It's, it's more of a family name or a surname. It's the, it's the, uh, the earliest manuscripts of Matthew actually give his name as Jesus Barabbas. So, uh, what we believe is that in later texts that people to not have confusion with their two names and, and trying to, you know, protect the reputation of Jesus and this uh, being compared side by side with this wicked man, just drop the Jesus off of Barabbas's name. But think about that. Jesus Barabbas. Jesus is derived from the ancient Greek form of the Aramaic and Hebrew Yeshua. And Yeshua, in English, is Joshua. And it's a common name in the first century. So Barabbas was named after Joshua in the Bible, probably, the great Israelite conqueror, not after Jesus Christ. But but still, consider what the similarity might mean. Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ. Perhaps Pilate chose Barabbas in particular of all the prisoners he could have released because he wanted to give the people a clear option. Listen to me. Do you want Jesus Barabbas, the terrorist, the man of violence, the man of greed, the one who we have found guilty? Or do you want Jesus who is called Christ? Messiah and King of the Jews. That's what Christ means. Innocent. Man of peace in whom I find nothing worthy of death. And perhaps, think even further than that. Perhaps in Jesus Barabbas, a sovereign God was bringing the people to make another choice for which they would be held accountable. 
It's like God is saying from the heavens, do you want the man who aggressively forces change in the political realm or do you want the man by his very coming who ushers in the kingdom of heaven which is not of this world? Regardless of the clear contrast between the two, the crowd made its choice. They cry out with one voice, Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Matthew twenty-seven twenty says, Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. So Pilate's strategy with the crowd, his way to kind of manipulate them and work them into coming to their senses, failed miserably. They not only kept demanding to have Barabbas, but they would also not be satisfied with anything short of the annihilation of Jesus Christ. The more Pilate tried to spare his life, the more the mob was influenced by the chief priest to cry out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Now, one of our missionaries that we support, we mentioned him this morning, is Ryan Denton. Ryan Denton is the... uh, he, he has Christ in the Wild Ministries, and what he does primarily is go to college campuses all over the Southwest and, and if, uh, preach the gospel, uh, bring the claims of Christ right to people. And one thing, that if you watch the videos, you're going to see on those videos, anytime he shows up to, to preach, myriads of indoctrinated college students defending everything possible from abortion to sexual perversions of every description to atheism to every kind of false religion on the planet. But when you're watching his video, one thing I guarantee you that you will not see. You won't see anyone in those videos who is ever appealing for compassion and tolerance for Christians. And when the biblical Jesus is opened before them, when it's laid out before them from the scriptures, they make all kinds of absurd and uninformed and blasphemous accusations against him, blaming him for every evil in the world and questioning his every claim. Why do they do that? Why? What is it about that? Because here's the deal. This is the first lesson of Barabbas' life. Fallen humanity always wants Barabbas. It doesn't matter when you stack up the evidence of who Jesus Barabbas is versus Jesus the Christ. This fallen humanity always veers towards Barabbas. Always. Romans 8, 57 says this, for, uh, I'm sorry, 5 through 7 says this, that the, uh, the, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are of the, are in the flesh cannot please God. There's nothing in them attracted to Jesus the Christ. They all want Barabbas. The mind of the flesh is at war with God. God is the arch enemy of the sinner. You, you will never find a sinner that, that is okay with God. Someone who is lost in their sins. No matter what they say, they may say, well, I just don't care, I'm indifferent. No one can be indifferent to a holy God. 
Do you hear me? You cannot be indifferent to a holy God. Either you respond in obedience or you reject Him. We choose Barabbas. So we mustn't be the kind of people who 2,000 years later look snobbishly at the Jews of the first century and we mock their envy and mock their bloodthirst. You and I have demanded Barabbas so many times so that we could dispose of Jesus just like they did. Do you remember that? Do you remember before Christ found you, before Christ called your name, how willing you were to run from Jesus, to put Jesus away from you, to dispose of Jesus so that you could have Barabbas? See, we wanted Barabbas because when we demand Barabbas, we know what we're getting. See, Barabbas is a man of action. He thinks like we do. He gets things done. Even if things get a little bit messy sometimes. Barabbas can be your preferred political platform. He can be whatever you choose to get ahead. To get things done. But mostly Barabbas is simply the idol of self. The worship of self. See, we choose self because we think that our choices are always for our benefit. Remember in the 70s, anybody old enough to remember in the 70s when everybody's saying, if it feels good, do it. Our choices are always beneficial for us. So we crown ourselves and make ourselves little kings and queens. We're convinced that our feelings, our motives, and our actions are always right. But then there's this troubling little verse in Jeremiah where he reminds us that the heart is exceedingly wicked and deceitful above everything else. Jesus pointed out for his disciples the danger of choosing Barabbas. He said in Matthew 16, 25, Forever who, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So where are we now? Right now. As we stand in the middle of a crowd that is screaming for Barabbas. That is rejecting Jesus. A culture that hates Christ. It's time for us to step out of the crowd. Let them demand the man of their own choosing to their eternal destruction. When Pilate washed his hands of the blood guilt of Jesus before the crowd, the people did not hesitate to cry out, His blood be on us and on our children. Wow. Wow. Pilate was saying, I'm not guilty of this. And the people said, fine, we will be. Mm. In about 40 years after those words were uttered, the debt of their sin would come due. The Romans would lay siege to Jerusalem. They would destroy the temple and the Jewish nation would be dispersed to the four corners of the world. If you demand Barabbas, you might get Barabbas. My question to you this morning is, can you afford to have him? 
To choose anyone but Christ is necessarily to reject Christ altogether. Jesus himself said, no one can serve two masters. You cannot live a life of Christ and this or that. There's no way to to fill in that equation that pleases the Lord. It can never be Christ and. I've noticed before, and I've said this before, that, that a lot of people approach Jesus. They approach Christianity. They approach the truth of the word as though it's a hat or a purse. It's, it's not, it's not the thing that covers us. It's just a, an accessory. We just add it to our outfit. It's not the, the, not the core of what covers us. It's just something else to add. And Jesus says, not good enough. He demands everything. He demands all our life. But to choose Christ when all the world in opposition to you demands something other than him, it's really to have wisdom. Jesus alone, as he says in Matthew 13, is a treasure hidden in a field. He is the pearl of great price. He says a man will sell everything to acquire that one thing. Jesus is worth losing everything you've got to gain the singular best. Amen? So, we've considered Pilate's relation to Barabbas and the way the crowd chose him rejecting Jesus. But there's a whole other side of this. Of course, when we're talking about the way people respond to Jesus, Barabbas represents something negative, something different, something opposed to Jesus. But let's consider Barabbas' perspective on these events. Can you, I'm gonna, we're just gonna have a little fun this morning and I'm gonna ask you to use your imagination. Can you imagine Barabbas sitting in a musty Jerusalem dungeon? Dimly lit by just a few torches. Perhaps situation so bad that he has to fight with the rats for the meager rations the Romans are willing to give to him. They're only willing to spare a little bit to this despised insurrectionist. He's already been found guilty. He's someone who's condemned to die soon anyway. So who really cares? Can you imagine the fear? The guilt, the anger, the regret, the despair that swirled like a whirlwind within his soul. He was the one who had made a reputation for thumbing his nose at all authority. But now, oh man, he'd gone too far. He was caught. Does anybody remember when you went too far and were caught? Anybody? Man, I feel bad to be the only one in this room who's actually guilty. But he knew what it was like. Barabbas knew what it was like to go too far, to get caught, to be cuffed and stuffed. And we can assume, as I said earlier, that for treason, for murder, for theft, oh yeah, he's surely sentenced to death by crucifixion. So now he sits, 
alone in this cell, and he waits for the day when he will be dragged from that cell, when he'll be tied down and then nailed down to a wooden cross where he will endure a long, painful, and shameful death as he hangs under guard before all of Jerusalem's eyes. Some people in those days stayed on the cross for days. They'd fight for every breath as they had to lift their body on those nails to just breathe. Other times when the soldiers got impatient, the convict's legs would be smashed and broken so that they couldn't lift themselves. And that would hasten asphyxiation. And all the time while they're waiting to die, people would come by and mock them and shame them and torment them. And they'd even spit on them, curse them. And I imagine, I just have to imagine, that these thoughts weighed heavy on Barabbas' mind. When they came, he would try to put on a brave, a brave face. When, whenever he'd think like this, he'd try to be the tough guy. And he, he was trying to tell himself that I'm going to go out in as much defiance to these Gentile dogs as I've shown them in all my life. But he knew better. He knew better. Inside he was trembling. The knot in, the, in his stomach was the biggest he had ever experienced. He slept very, very little, but when he was able to sleep, he, it was only because he cried himself silently to sleep. He tried to be as quiet as possible for fear that the other prisoners would hear him. The great Barabbas, the big tough guy, the scary terrorist... And in his weeping, they would shame him. And can you imagine that morning of Christ's trial? Oh, my goodness. His heart must have sunk when the door of his cell swung violently open. And two heavily armed Roman soldiers entered. Come with us, they demanded. He tried to respond to him with a sneer and a curse. But he was certain that the terror on the inside of him was certainly visible on his face. There was no turning back now. This is it. The moment had come. When they bring him out into the sunlight in the square of Pilate's quarters where he was holding trial, his eyes dart around for the cross that would be his end. And he braces for blow after blow as the crowd presses around him. But strangely, he, he notices the people in the crowd are kind of laughing maniacally. And some of them are slapping him on the back and telling him, way to go. And they're acting as though together, him and this crazy crowd, they'd won a great victory together. And then his heart just sinks even lower as he looks up and he sees across the crowd another prisoner clearly a prisoner because he's nearly naked. His back is in tatters, having been ripped open by the Roman scourge. His head, there's something on his head. And it looks, is that thorns? Is that a, a thorn bush strapped to his head? What is this, he's saying? What is going on here? Several soldiers, as he's watching this man, lift a, a, a heavy beam and lay it across the man's shoulder. The man almost falters. He almost falls down right there. 
And the soldiers around this other man, they shout and they point him out of the city. Get moving, they say. Most of the crowd really isn't paying any attention to Barabbas at all. They they follow him. They follow this other man outside of the city. And the soldiers near him grab Barabbas close and he thinks, this is it. But they begin untying his hands. They begin untying his feet. And at this, this point, he's openly weeping. He says, what's going on? And he demands that they tell him, not trusting them at all. He says, get out of here, Barabbas. You're free. That other one, he took your place. What? What what do you say? How? Is this some kind of joke? But the soldiers just ignore him. They just leave Barabbas standing there, virtually alone in this crowd that is quickly heading out of the town. They run, the soldiers themselves run to catch up with the other soldiers. Barabbas just stands there in stunned silence. This can't be happening. This cannot be happening. And soon panic sets in and he just runs in whatever direction as fast as he can. He's not thinking at all about where he's going. His mind is racing. They're coming when they realize their mistake. I've got to escape. I've got to get somewhere where they will never find me. So he hides wherever he can. Tries to keep a low profile. Every once in a while, despite his best efforts, somebody will recognize him. Barabbas, is that you? But they don't seem to rush off to report him to their nearest centurion. They act as if it's just normal for him to be free. Time passes. And no one ever comes. He begins to resume a more normal life. But the one thing he can never forget is that man heading away with his cross who he was told somehow had taken his place. Now I realize, I realize it, before you start throwing your rocks... I realize that my version is not in the Bible. I'm just using my imagination to consider a what-if possibility. But one thing that I will tell you that is 100% biblical, 100%, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you were once Barabbas. You were undeniably guilty. You had been arrested by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You were imprisoned by the law of God. The same law that you had transgressed, thinking that somehow, some way, by your own wits, by your own smarts, that you would somehow avoid condemnation. There came a day when you were brought out, not because you executed some epic prison break, not because you were granted time off for good behavior. No, no, no. On the contrary, you were sitting on death row awaiting justice to be served against you in the day of judgment. But you were brought out for one simple reason, 
someone took your place. The innocent was given in exchange for the guilty. And today you may struggle like my Barabbas with thoughts of what you've done. You know your guilt and fear that God might drag you back to prison. But here's the good news, my friend. No one's coming. No one's coming. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Galatians 5.1 says, For it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. See, the gospel doesn't give us rules for self-improvement. The gospel is not a self-improvement program. It's not a, 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 a program of religious advancement. It points us to the innocent, blood-soaked man who bears a cross while we go free. Doesn't, the gospel doesn't make us innocent of our crimes, but what it does do is declare that we are forgiven of them because someone took our place out of perfect love. And all the church said together, Amen. 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 Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the perfect love that stood in our place, that took our cross, that wore our crown, that took our beating, that was enveloped in our shame. We thank you for that, Lord. God, we thank you that you have shown us by your Spirit that you are the one worth following. God, we repent this morning for all the times that we have, in our sinfulness, asked for Barabbas, asked for something different, asked for something manageable, asked for something we could wrap our mind around. God, we just ask your forgiveness. And we pray that you would help us to see the great beauty of your holiness the great desirability of your goodness, Lord. And God, we thank you that when we ourselves were Barabbas, Lord, that you set us free, that you let us walk out of our prison cell into a brand new life where no one's coming after us because we're forgiven, we're whole, we're adopted into a brand new family, given a brand new name, robed in brand new clothes. Our old prison uniform is thrown away. And, and as Barabbas' name means literally son of the father, God, you've taken all of us Barabbases. And you've made us sons and daughters of the Father. God, all we have to offer you for that is praise. Praise that has now begun and will last throughout eternity. 
in a place where we will be renewed and never weary of your presence, never weary of singing your praises. So we thank you for this, God. Be exalted in us. In Jesus' name, amen.
could have the communion servers come and help me. Uh, we, we were going to receive the Lord's uh, Supper together. And this is such a, um, such a marvelous reminder, even with the song that Natalie just led us in, that, that we were once his enemies, but now we have a place at his table. Not because of anything we've done, not because of any merit in ourselves, but we have been invited to, to come and, and, and uh, just renew our covenant with him week in and week out and, 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 re, and remind ourselves that, that Christ has done something, that he stood in our place, that he took our cross. And because of that, we who were once his enemies are now seated at his table. What a wonderful, tangible reminder he's given us in the Lord's Supper. And so I just want to uh, invite you in a moment to come and receive these elements and take them back to your seat. We'll take them together. But just a real quick word. I always try to mention this. We, we don't ever assume, even in a crowd this size, we're a tiny little church, but we don't assume in a crowd this size that every one of you knows the Lord Jesus Christ as both Lord and Savior. And so if that's you, if you're unsure, the Holy Spirit is so good. He'll, he'll tell us, you know, he'll confirm for us that we're believers and he'll confirm for us if we're not. And so if that's you, if you know that there's business, that, that there's, there are things that are not right with you and God and you need to, to make them right, can I just ask you to have the courage to, to wait to come to this table until You've, you've kind of uh, dealt with those things. And the best way I can think of to deal with them is to find myself, find Pastor Dave, find uh, Gabe, and, and just share with us. Let us talk to you for just a moment or two. And, and you can say, hey, I'm ready to, to get things right with God. And we will help you to know what to do and help you to, to get on a path that will help you to, to, uh, uh, to go the distance. And so I want you to seriously consider that. But if you're not there yet, just stay in your seat. It's okay. No one's judging you. What we are doing is compelling you to come to the cross of Jesus this morning. For the rest of you, I'm going to go ahead and invite you to come and receive the elements. And um, we will take those together as a family uh, after you've returned to your seat. This morning, um, in talking about Barabbas, as you know, I used my imagination and um, hopefully for productive uh, means, but I would like to just ask you to, as you hold your elements just for a moment, just think about what it means that Christ has taken your place. That's what these elements symbolize. Just think about, don't just rush through this as some religious thing that you've done many times before. Think about the fact that you are going free because Christ took your place, because his body was broken, because his blood was poured out. Just Let's just take 10 seconds. Just close your eyes and think about that for a minute. You might even just want to tell the Lord thank you for his redemption. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you do this 
in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. Now once more, let's give thanks. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your grace, the gift of your broken body, the gift of your shed blood that makes us once so vile, so dark, so foul. Lord, you have made us white as snow. We are robed in righteousness, Lord. Though our sins were as scarlet, they are now white as snow, and we thank you for that, God. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. If you would, place your hands in a receiving position. I just want to pronounce this benediction over you. This is all I could think about when I thought about Barabbas. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're dismissed.